Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome today to the first of many messages on Wednesdays under this new series called Pondering Prophecy. At Faith Dialogue, we have two messages each week. Uh, On Sunday at 11 a.m., we have our regular Sunday service. And presently, we're going through the Acts of the Apostles in a sermon series that I call Unstoppable. Our preference in teaching the Bible in putting together our sermons and messages is to approach it from what we call an expository style. Uh, The goal of expository preaching is is twofold. First, we present the contextual, uh, the meaning of and the intent of the original text, meaning we look at the original intention of the author and then the historical and cultural context as well to make the passage as clear and understandable uh, that we can. The word expository is related to the same word we have today, which is expose. The expository preacher's goal is to simply to expose the, the true meaning of the Bible passage, verse by verse. Secondly, our preference uh, on Sundays especially is to teach the entire Bible, that we're, the entire, entire book of the Bible at a time, uh, beginning with the very first verse or the first chapter and then continuing through a number of weeks until we get to the last chapter of the, of the very last verse. In this way, we preach the entire uh, counsel of God. Uh, we don't cherry pick our, our favorite verses. In that way, that's the way we organize our Sunday services and they're held on Sundays at 11 o'clock and at 6 o'clock as well. Now on Wednesdays, uh, we're topical. Now, we still always uh, expose the true intent of the scripture passage. We just finished up uh, recently on a, on a two-year journey, two-year journey through all of the parables of Jesus that are found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're starting a new series today on, on prophecy. You know, I realized when I was teaching the parables, especially the last five or six parables that Jesus taught while he was here, during his three years of earthly ministry, that these, many of these, prophet, these parables are also very prophetic. Uh, for example, the parable of the wise and foolish servants showed that it would be wise, the wise that would be watching for the return of the, the king. The parable of the fig tree points um, actually to Israel, represented as the fig tree that would be, be blooming. Also that um, if there's no fruit, fruit, there's no need for the true tree. Uh, the third one was the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This was a, a prophetic example of the bridegroom coming for his, his bride. The parable of the talents illustrates that God gives each of us not only talents, but, but assignments while we're here on earth that we are to, uh, to accomplish. And then finally was the parable of the sheep and the goats that we did just this last week. It's one of the most descriptive parables in the Bible. It shows the judgment of the nations at the end of the tribulation period. So what would we say that we could learn from all of these parables as we get into this series on prophecy? Well, Jesus said that he spoke in parables so that we would understand uh, what are mysteries of the kingdom of God. 
And collectively, through these parables, especially these ones I just spoke of, we can see that Christ's second coming is clear. It's certain. It will come from many at a time that's unexpected. Also, the parables teach us that we need to be prepared. We need to be watching. And the third is that, again, we need to be actively watching for the return of Jesus. Watching is not just passive. It's actually active if you apply what the Bible has to say about waiting for the return and watching for the return of Jesus Christ. So as we get into prophecy today, this new series, and before we begin today's topic, which is COVID-19, the pandemics and the second coming, let's address three principles. These are, are three principles of prophecy that are, that are bedrock. These are principles that we'll always be going back to, always making sure that they're there as we talk about prophecy. Uh, the first of these uh, bedrock principles are, is summarized in three words. Thy kingdom come. You know, each of us learned the, the Lord's Prayer or, or the Our Father uh, when we were young, probably no more than eight, nine years old. We're, we're learning this, this prayer of Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer and do you realize every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying, Thy kingdom come. The second coming of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the second uh, bedrock principles is that prophecy is, is profit profitable. Prophecy, prophecy is profitable. Uh, nearly 25 to 33 percent of the entire Bible is prophecy. And, and only the Lord, only God can speak of future events as if they are certain. You know, if we take a look at all of the prophecy that's been fulfilled in the Bible, it was fulfilled accurately, literally. Uh, God doesn't make any mistakes. Now, if, if 25 to 33% of the Bible is prophecy and we ignore it, that's like ignoring something like 20 to 30 entire books of the Bible, just ignoring them, just ripping them out of the Bible, and, and we can't do that. Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable there's that word it's profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction of righteousness uh, we need to be reading prophecy in order to be to complete to be complete to be ready uh, as an example the book of revelation and we'll touch on that today is the only book in the bible that actually has a a promise of a blessing for all of those that would, would read it. A blessing. The third bedrock principle in prophecy is the second coming of Jesus is referred to as the, as the blessed hope. You know, there are many that when we start speaking about prophecy, when we use words like Armageddon and um, apocalypse, they, they are, they're alarmed. They become very fearful. Uh, but Paul said, the Apostle Paul said, that this is actually something we should look forward to. He says that we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's in his letter to Titus, chapter 2, verse 13. If it's called the blessed hope and his glorious appearing, it's, it's something, again, that we should look forward to, something that we should embrace, not something that we should be in fear of. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, Paul says that there will be a generation that will be alive at that time. And, and this generation that is alive will be caught up together 
and meet the Lord in the air. This is, this is an exciting time uh, for those that are waiting for His coming. You know, again, I know that many, when they hear the word uh, apocalypse, they'll often think of a calamity and destruction, uh, a disaster, a cataclysm. But did you know that the word apocalypse is actually the Greek word apocalypso, which means to, to unveil, to uncover. That's why we have the name of the book is called Revelation, because God is revealing something to us. It's, it's not so much about God's judgment. It does have that but it's revealing something to us, something that we can embrace, something that we can look forward to. So as we study prophecy, uh, not only today and every Wednesday, uh, we'll always remember these three bedrock principles. His kingdom is coming, these teachings are, are profitable, uh, all of prophecy is profitable, uh, it's for us, and also the second coming of Jesus is preceded by what is called in the Bible, the Blessed Hope. So today I, I thought I'd begin our teaching on prophecy by taking a look at the elephant in the room. Uh, why not? Let's start with, uh, with the most obvious. The pandemic that is on our news stations 24 by 7. Uh, the number one topic of our conversations, uh, the number one thing that's impacted not only the United States, but all of the nations of the world, it's impacted our, our schools, our houses of worship, our businesses, and our, and our livelihood. Uh, it's impacted literally everything. Uh, the question, of course, that we'll address is, is COVID-19 the ultimate pandemic that is referenced in the Bible? And if so, are we then in what's called the tribulation, the end of days? So let me answer this question. I won't make you wait until the the end of this message now I'd like you to stick around we have a lot to cover today and I think you're gonna find it quite interesting but I'll answer the question up front I won't I won't hide it until the end COVID-19 is is not it's not the pandemic that's referenced in the Bible that'll happen during the tribulation that pandemic, that plague, is described in Revelation chapter 6, as well as referenced by Jesus, uh, particularly in the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 21. One of the reasons I say this is, is quite frankly, and this may be interesting to you, I, I say this because this, this virus itself is not deadly enough to be considered one of the plagues of, of Revelation. Um, for example, in Revelation 6, it says that power is given to the fourth horseman to, to kill with sword, hunger, and plague up to one-fourth of the earth. Well, based on present population, that's nearly two billion people. COVID-19 is, is traumatic, ultimately traumatic, but at the, with, with regards to sheer numbers, it, it isn't in the same category as some of the pandemics and the death and destruction that we've seen through history. Uh, for example, in the Civil War, there were over 700,000 Americans that, that died. In World War I and World War II, for example, there were 17 million and 50 million deaths, respectively. HIV, HIV killed over 25 million people in Africa alone in the 1970s. And then the Spanish flu, which is often, re often compared to the present pandemic, the Spanish flu uh, killed 40 million people. Uh, now worldwide, 
uh, health estimates, uh, estimates are that there's going to be less than one million people. That's still significant, but it's nowhere on the scale that we've seen throughout history. However, and this is a big however, big capital H on however, we, we see that with COVID-19, the, especially the um, results of it or the reaction to it are those reactions and those events and those consequences that could easily usher in all of the signs that are described in the Bible that, regarding, that are regarding the end times. So COVID-19 isn't as much a pandemic that's prophesied by, prophesied by Jesus, as well as mentioned in the book of Revelation, but it's a, it's a forerunner. It easily could be the catalyst, the perfect storm, the mechanism that ushers everything that is written about in the Bible regarding the one world government, the coming world leader known in the book of Revelation as the beast, the chief prince, the little horn of Daniel, the prince that shall come. Often refer to him as the, the Antichrist. L let's take a look briefly at some of the things that we've seen with this COVID-19 and in particular the response from our governments around the world to this pandemic. You know, less than a year ago, who could have imagined the, the chaos, the lockdowns, the economic upheaval that we have with this current pandemic? And remember, it's impacting the, the entire earth. Uh, the first time I heard of this, this virus is from my son-in-law who teaches Chinese students English online. And he was referring to what was then called the, the coronavirus or the Chinese virus. Uh, as I mentioned, this virus has become the, the perfect storm. Uh, the mechanism that we see that has been able to allow the governments to take very strong and swift member, measures that quickly stripped here in the United States most of our citizens of, of their rights. Nothing makes government grow like a crisis. And politicians never want to waste a crisis. People are fearful and policymakers and elected politicians quickly respond to that fear with promises that they can fix it. And government ends up larger and more powerful as a result. While the current pandemic threatens sickness to us humans, did you know it's actually the healthiest thing that it could ever happen to a government? Isn't that ironic? It's sickness for us but it's health for the government. The government can increase their control over everyday life and will usher in, could usher in, what is known as the New World Order. If there's ever been an opportunity for deception on a grand scale, this is it. Now that's not to say that there isn't a real virus out there that is dangerous, a virus that is contagious and, de and deadly at least to those with underlying conditions and have compromised immune systems. However, who would have thought that this virus would usher in a time of political turmoil, violence, racial unrest, riots, mandatory mass, and the so-called social media cancel culture? If you don't know what that is, God bless you. You don't know, want to know what it is. How quickly the government was willing to pick winners and, and losers, ordering the closure of some businesses, including churches and schools, while keeping casinos open, 
and then calling some jobs essential and some jobs, meaning people, non-essential. The government shut the doors of our businesses, our livelihoods, and all travel. And this triggered a near economic collapse. And the near economic collapse was immediately, I mean immediately followed by politicians that were all too eager to increase uh, an economic incentives, uh, a stimulus in the United States of, of $3 trillion. $3 trillion. That just grew our our debt, our U.S. debt, from 23 to 26 trillion dollars. Yes, I'm confident that there, th this is what we would call the the perfect storm. Uh, by the way, uh, the response was coordinated. It, it was an organized response. Not necessarily the pandemic, but the the virus. Um, there was a planned and organized response when this type of virus would appear. It was a response that was coordinated by governments, the World Health Organization, the CDC, news media, educational institutions, businesses, transportation, and even the extremists, typically Marxist and revolutionary organizations that continue to bring riots, destruction, and even the loss of life, not just here in the United States, but around the world, to typically what was stable, quiet, and productive cities. The mass mandate and the coming required vaccinations are excellent opportunities that can be exploited by a, a future world leader. This future world leader would be hell-bent, and I'm using that, that those words, hell-bent um, deliberately uh, to require every person, every man, every woman and child to, to acquiesce, to concede um, to accept what the government has as a solution. After all, uh, the Antichrist in particular would, would know better, would govern better, and would need to be put in charge of the entire world for our own good. The Bible says that this coming world leader, this beast, is actually in league with, with Satan himself. What we're seeing today is not the fulfillment of these prophecies, but what Jesus referred to as, as birth pains. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, and various places. And then Jesus tells us a key, a key to understanding. As verse 8 continues, he says, all these things are the beginning of birth of sorrows. That word sorrows is also translated and better translated as, as birth pains in many of our English translations. You know, the world has, has always, has always experienced wars and famines, plagues and, and earthquakes. But many pastors and scholars believe, and I, I include myself in that group, that when a number of these signs that Jesus and the scriptures refer to, when they start happening in a group, when they come closer and closer together, uh, we have what we now know as, as birth pains. Uh, let's put a pin in the topic of, of COVID-19 for a while. Uh, as I've said already, I don't see that COVID-19 in itself is part of prophecy. But let's take our remaining time today uh, as we're introducing this topic of Bible prophecy and specifically talk a little bit about end time events and those things that would be the forerunners those things that we would be seeing just prior to 
the return of Jesus Christ. And this would be the culmination of this present age. That, and, it's, and this, by the way, is described in, in great detail in the Bible. I've just hit some of the, the highlights today. While there are many things we could talk about, let's, let's ponder, and there's that word. I'm using the word ponder deliberately because this series that we're introducing is called Pondering Prophecy. So let's, let's ponder some of these, these things. Um, these, let's ponder for a moment what are normally considered some of the, the key indicators of the time period that immediately precedes the coming of the Lord. Okay, first key indicator. Key indicator number one. Key indicator number one is that Israel is in the land. The prophet Isaiah used the same terminology as Jesus, referring it as birth pains. In Isaiah 66, beginning in verse 7, the prophet Isaiah says this. He, said, she, he says, before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Can a country be born in a day, or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. And these verses in Isaiah prophesied the rebirth of Israel in our generation. The prophet Isaiah describes a woman giving birth and before going into labor, and he speaks of a country being born in a day. This accurately describes what happened on May 14, 1948, just a, a few years before I was born when Israel declares to, to be a sovereign state and, and David Ben-Gurion becomes the first premier. The United States quickly ushered uh, a recognition of the Jewish state before midnight the same day and Israel becomes a, a sovereign nation for the first time in 2900 years. This regathering of the people of Israel is the number one sign, uh, the key the first key indicator that we're rapidly approaching the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus speaks also of this regarding the, of this regarding the nation of Israel. And, and so one of the most quoted chapters regarding prophecy is Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus speaks of Israel as the, as the fig tree. The fig tree is referenced often in the Bible, and many times it's just a, a fig tree. But when it's used symbolically, it always, it always refers to the nation of Israel. For example, in uh, Matthew 24, verse 32, Jesus says this, he says, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Now for those of us that have lived up north, we know what winter does to our, our trees. Uh, they become brittle. Uh, they look like they are dead. Uh, the branches and the twigs, if you, if you try to bend them, they'll, they'll snap because they're, they're so brittle. But then, every year without fail, spring comes and we begin to see some green on our trees. The twigs get tender and the leaves come out and you know that summer is near. Jesus continues in verse 33, he says, Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. And Jesus is telling us very clearly, clearly that when we see these things, when we see Israel back in the land, 1900 years after the, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple, 
and all of the Jews were, were, were basically cast out of the land of Israel. 1900 years they, they return. And Jesus says, know this. Know this, he says. He says that this generation will not pass away until all these things, all these things are accomplished. Now, which generation is he, is he talking about? Well, it's not the generation that he was speaking to, but the generation that actually sees these things begin to happen. It's the generation that he says, it's to this generation, that he says the time is near, even at the door. Verse 35, Jesus continues, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Jesus gives assurances again to us as readers that these words of prophecy are, are true, even more sure than the heavens and the earth. You know, it's not only Jesus and the prophet Isaiah, and I could go on, I'm only going to give you a couple more. The prophet Zechariah, who lived 2,500 years ago, prophesied, he said, and Jerusalem will be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. You know, students of history will remember that under um, Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews returned to Israel. This is, this is prior to the, to the Greeks and prior to the Romans. However, Ezekiel chapter 34 says this, it says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. You know, in verse 37, a little bit later, Ezekiel continues and he says, and I will make them one nation, one nation in the land, all the mountains of Israel, and there'll be one king, will be king over them. Now, when Jesus came, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, as well as many of the people, knew of this prophecy. They were expecting the Messiah to come. And the Messiah would not only be a spiritual leader, but he would be a political leader as well. This is exactly why the people of Israel greeted Jesus on Palm Sunday with palm branches. And they cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The religious leaders were expecting the Messiah to fulfill all of the prophecy, prophecies of Ezekiel, including the restoration of, of the kingdom of Israel. However, we now understand very clearly, because we have history of the past, that this will not come until the end of what is known as the seven-year period, also known as the tribulation also known as the time of Jacob's trouble or the 70th week. All of these terms, by the way, and there's a number of them, refer to the, to the same time period. And it's explained in detail in the Bible, particularly in the book of Revelation. So the, rebel, the restoration of Israel is the first key sign, the first key indicators that birth pains have, have begun. So what's the second key indicator? Well, second number, key indicator number two is described in one word, and that word is deception. Second key indicator is deception. <laughs> have you heard the new, have you heard the word fake news, uh, half live, half truths and lies lately? Of course you have. Uh, the world is, is full of deception. It's very difficult to understand truth from, from lies uh, when you're watching any of the media. Jesus warned us in speaking of the last days that it's just prior to his return in chapter 24 of Matthew, he said, be careful, be wary, do not be deceived. 
and this is repeated in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. Do not be deceived. Uh, these, this means that we need to take note. Well, we need to be very careful what we hear and read and see. We need to know for certain, we, one thing we know for certain, that deception is, is always around us. Deception is often mentioned in connection with the last days, both in the time just prior to the beginning of the seven years of tribulation, but also during the tribulation period. Paul wrote, he said, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they will heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away from the truth and shall be turned to instead to fables. That's 2 Timothy. You know, these, these words of Paul are already being fulfilled uh, as much of the Christian church has turned away from the true gospel. And they're much more interested in hearing teachers that will teach them literally anything else. When Paul says the time will come, the word that Paul uses there is the word, Greek word kairos. And kairos always refers to a, a specific time period. It's this time period, particularly just before the return of Jesus Christ. Kindicator number three, like the days of Noah. When the apostles asked Jesus about the signs of his coming and the end of the age, Jesus responded with a, a number of things. He said there'll be a rise of false prophets, wars, rumors of wars. But then he says, but see to it that you are not alarmed for such things must happen. They must, they, they, the end is still to come. Jesus then said those words that we often hear so much, that no one knows the, the day or the hour. And, and we'll take a whole lesson just talking about those words. No one knows the day or the hour. That's for another time. But I want to, I want to Jesus' words in, in Matthew 24, verse 30, starting at verse 36, are, are very interesting. Jesus says, but about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 37, as it was in the days of Noah, there's that word, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Notice that immediately after Jesus gets specific about the day or the hour, he references Noah. This is our third key indicator because there is an obvious parallel between what happened in the days of Noah and what will happen just prior to the return of Jesus. The Bible tells us that at that time the Lord saw how the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And that's what it says, that's what the Bible says about the time of Noah. That's out of Genesis chapter 6. God decided that he would, he would judge the wickedness. However, he chose to save, protect, and keep from destruction Noah and his family. This is the parallel between Noah and the time just prior to the return of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.20 says that God waited patiently 
in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In the ark, a few people, only eight souls, were saved through water. 2 Timothy chapter 3 gives us a clear picture of the state of the world before Jesus comes and most likely also describes the world in the days of Noah. Again, there's a parallel. That verse says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, my friends, these words of Peter are an indictment on the world uh, that we know today. How, how rapidly has the world turned to, to evil and it embraced it. And our governments especially have embraced, they've licensed and sanctioned many of these, these evils. The resurgence and attraction of Marxism, uh, which is a godless, anti-God, and evil, corrupt system of government, uh, is just one example of how uh, people are embracing evil. So let's wrap up this discussion for today. We discussed the elephant in the room and declared that while COVID-19 is not the ultimate pandemic that is referenced in the Bible, uh, we are seeing how the response to this pandemic gives us a, a glimpse. And, a, and, a, and the world is ready uh, to embrace a global solution and, and a global leader, just as the scriptures have foretold. You know, my, my friends, Jesus intentionally chose to use the days of Noah as one of the clues to what we'll see just before his return. Noah was said to be a, a preacher of, of righteousness. A and Noah warned the people of his time of the coming judgment. God chose to save Noah, and in like manner, he'll save all of those who call upon his name. The scriptures tell us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that God has not destined us, uh, those that believe and trust in Jesus, uh, for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Revelation, Jesus has a message for, for seven churches in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey. Uh, and, it, and to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus says this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. He says, Because you have kept my word of perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole inhabitable earth to try those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. The church of, of Philadelphia, as well as the churches of Thyatira, Sardis, and Laodicea, represent churches present just prior to the tribulation. The term trial is synonymous with the word tribulation. Jesus is telling the church that if we, if we keep his word, if we're faithful to our calling, will be kept from, or in other words, we will rise above this, this hour of trial, just as Noah and his family were able to rise above the floodwaters. If you've never listened, if you've never truly listened to the words of the preacher of righteousness, a preacher like Noah, let me encourage you 
that now would be a good time to listen and not only listen but also to respond. The scriptures tell us that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit descended descended on all of the 120 that were present and the people in the street heard the people declare the praises of God in their own language and Peter comes out and delivers his his very first sermon and at the end of his sermon the people are are cut to the heart uh, they understand that Jesus was the Christ that he had come and they crucified him but God had risen him from the dead and then the, the people say this the Bible says that they were cut to the heart and cried out what shall we do to be saved? What shall we do to be saved? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now this, this word repent, uh, at the base of it, at the basics of, of what repentance is, it's to change your, change your mind. To change your mind. It's, it's time... It's time for some people to, to change their mind what they think of Jesus and how they're supposed to respond to, to who he is. Jesus asked Peter, um, he said, but who do you say I am? And, and Peter was able to reply that you are the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. You see, each one of us has to respond to that question is, who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. He's the Messiah that was to come and that will come again. The scriptures tell us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. Let me pray for you and if you'd like to make a decision uh, that would change your life, now would be a great time. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this message today. It was on prophecy, but at the same time, Lord, we know that with surety that Jesus is coming again. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.